You're listening to audio from Red Rocks Baptist Church. For more information about our church, visit our website at redrocksbaptist.org or follow us on Instagram at Red Rocks Baptist. But I'd like to shift now to the scriptures, and we're going to look at one verse in the book of Colossians. So if you want to turn there with me, it's Colossians chapter 2 and verse 3. It's actually a very simple verse, but from this little verse, we draw our theme for the year. Our theme, as you can see on the screen, is treasuring Christ. Colossians 2.3 says this, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this little verse is kind of buried in in a paragraph where Paul is talking about his ministry to the Colossians and other people through prayer that he hasn't met. He's talking about his requests for them that their hearts would be knit together and grow in love and in knowledge and that their love and knowledge would grow toward Christ because in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything valuable that we could have in life is found in the Lord Jesus. And I would encourage you to memorize this verse. It's, it's not a long verse. Even those of us who struggle with memory, I think, if we review this for a couple weeks every day, can memorize Colossians 2-3. And uh, as we go through the the spring, through the book of Colossians, there'll be other passages that I'll encourage you to memorize, but this one I think is a manageable, a bite-sized portion to begin with. Well, it's been a long time since we have had a theme at Red Rock, so, so before we dive into this theme, let's just talk about why. Why pick a theme at all? We've, we've not had one, why do we need one? Well, we don't need one every year, certainly, but when we choose a theme, it, it really gives us unity and clarity for the whole year, and it unites us together. Having a theme this year, we can tie in different aspects of the ministry to, to really try to emphasize this. So the emphasis is going to be on our relationship to Christ. This morning in our Sunday school classes, both the teens and the adults, we began a study through the Gospel of Mark. Well, that fits into this theme of treasuring Christ because we're going to see in the Gospel of Mark what Jesus did, how he lived, how he ministered, how he suffered, how he died. And as we study him and as we see him in the Word, our hearts will grow and we will learn to treasure him. Next week, I'll begin preaching through the book of Colossians, actually for the first half of the year. Colossians is really about the glory and the preeminence of Christ. It's going to help us treasure Christ as we see who he is, to see what he's accomplished on the cross, to see the effects of that on our lives day after day, and to challenge us to pursue him and to seek things that are above. I'm really excited about this, and it's not just because the cool branding that Addison put together, uh, but I'm excited as we really focus on, on ministering to one another and gathering near and valuing Christ as he ought to be treasured. So what is a treasure? A treasure is something valuable, something of great worth. To treasure something, to use it as a verb, we would say a treasure. to treasure something means we consider it to be precious. And I don't know about you, but I love stories of hidden treasure. I think it's fascinating when diver teams go throughout the Atlantic and they pull up wreckage and they find coins or artifacts. I love hearing about discoveries in Egypt or in Israel. But there's a hidden treasure that was actually close to us. In 2010, maybe you've heard of this man's name, a man by the name of Forrest Fenn hid a treasure chest somewhere in the Rocky Mountains, north of New Mexico. And he, he's an, he was an eccentric art collector. So he, he was a little different, but he loved being a little different. He leaned into it. 
And he published a book called The Thrill of the Chase that gave several clues in poem form as to the location of this treasure. He buried it somewhere in 2010, and he said the treasure was worth somewhere between one to two million dollars. Apparently, it was about two feet wide, 18 inches deep, and there was some ancient artifacts, some gemstones, some gold coins. And for 10 years, thousands of people, some estimate even 300,000 people, look for this treasure to some degree. Now, we live close enough to it that there may be people here that have gone and done that. And if you've looked for this treasure, come talk to me after because I want to hear about it. There are a lot of people, though, that look for this. And sadly, five people actually died pursuing the treasure, whether they fell uh, repelling or their raft flipped over in the Rio Grande. Why would people literally give up their lives looking for a buried treasure chest? Why would they do that? Certainly, there's the thrill of the chase, but ultimately, they believe this treasure was so valuable that it was worth spending their time, even their money, their resources, even risking their lives to find this treasure. What do you consider the treasure of your life? What would you include in a personal treasury of valuable items? Would it be your family, your spouse, and children and grandchildren? I hope so. My wife and my children are worth more to me than any material object, and I'm sure you feel the same way. Perhaps a family heirloom would make your list, a piece of jewelry or a memento that has great sentimental value. I actually have one of those. My grandfather was a pastor in Kansas for many years, and upon his death and my grandmother's death, the family let me receive his ordination papers. And so I framed those next to my own in my office. And, and really, they have no value. They're just uh, monetarily, they're just pieces of paper with signatures on it, but, but it has great sentimental value to me. Maybe you have a prized possession as it relates to your hobby, a favorite gun, a special lure, a trusted tool, a beloved painting, a preferred flower in your garden. Maybe your home or favorite vehicle or your favorite pet makes the list of treasured items. Where does the Lord Jesus fit into this treasury? And I think many of us would hasten to say, well, Jesus is my treasure. Jesus is first in my life. And I hope that's true. But as I've meditated on this theme for several weeks now, I've had to really take a good look in the mirror spiritually and say, is Jesus my treasure? Is he supremely valuable to me? No matter what your prized possession may be on earth, the Bible calls Jesus our treasure. That's what Colossians 2, 3 said, right? In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Matthew chapter 13 compares Jesus to a treasure hidden in a field that, that a man finds and gives up everything. He sells everything he has to find that, to buy that treasure. Jesus is the most valuable possession in all of life. And it feels a little funny saying, calling him a possession, but I think you know what I'm trying to get at. Jesus is worth all of our devotion, all our love, all our honor, all our worship. And my desire this year, the desire of the other pastors, is that we would learn to treasure Christ with all our heart in 2023. Because treasuring something doesn't just happen a quick glance or overnight, treasuring something really has to come from deep within us. To do this, we have to spend time gazing at the glory 
the matchless beauty of our Savior Jesus. We have to soak in the fountain of his grace and his mercy and allow the Spirit of God to transform us, as 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, that as we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image even by the Spirit of the Lord. Let's ask and answer a simple question this morning. How do we treasure Christ? And these four actions, these four steps, will give us some guidance this year. How do we treasure Christ? How do I grow in treasuring Christ? Is it just some feeling that I get to try to work up? Is it just some emotional state that I need to kind of get myself into a lather with? No, we treasure Christ by meditating on Christ. And we do that in four ways. First, we receive Jesus as Savior. We make the treasure our own. The first step to do when a treasure is offered to you is to receive it. You cannot call it your own if you don't possess it, right? Some of you have traveled to London and you've seen the crown jewels. This is just a a small collection of them in this photo. But according to the Historic Royal Palace Places website, quote, the crown jewels are the nation's most precious treasures, combining more than 100 objects and over 23,000 gemstones. Pause. Holy smokes. 23,000 gemstones? I digress. The crown jewels are priceless, being part of incalculable cultural, historical, and symbolic value. They are part of the royal collection held in trust by the monarch for the nation. Whoa. Obviously, we can look at that and say, these are some of the world's greatest treasures. And I think if one thing is clear, is that we will never own these things. We will never touch them. Many of us will even never see them in person, let alone own them. And yet this is what makes Jesus such a glorious treasure. He can be received by anyone, regardless of your net worth or your bloodline. This treasure is available to you. John 1.12, one of the verses we meditated on in December actually, but as many as received him, received Jesus, to them gave To them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. The first step to treasuring Jesus is to receive him as Savior. Because every person is born a sinner. And if you're a Christian, you're saying, okay, Pastor Zach, I know you're going to review the gospel here in a moment. Don't gloss over it, though. Don't say, oh, yeah, yeah, right, I know the gospel. Don't let it become routine to you. We are sinners. We are condemned before God. We are poor and in spiritual poverty, and we owe God a debt we cannot pay. And yet, what did Jesus do? 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says that that he gave up his riches and took on our poverty so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. The only way to pay for our sins, the only payment that God will actually receive that is sufficient enough is to receive the treasure of Jesus. His death and resurrection has paid the way to heaven. And since his work on the cross bought salvation for us, receiving salvation is receiving him. That's why this verse says, but as many as received him. The reception of salvation is is bringing Christ into your life. It's giving your all to him. It's claiming him as your only savior. And I don't know the status of your heart, I'm looking at many familiar faces, but there are several that are unfamiliar. 
I don't know the spiritual burdens or the spiritual condition that you have. And at the beginning of this year, I simply plead with you to receive this treasure. Your salvation has been paid for, but you have to receive it. What treasure, other than Jesus, can give you eternal life? Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Because when it comes to receiving Jesus as Savior, it it has eternal consequences. Whatever we find important in life cannot save us. These treasures will fade. Moth and rust will corrupt. Thieves will break in and steal. But the treasure that is from above will never fade. Jesus will never forsake us. He can save any who receives him. So to treasure Jesus, the first step is to recognize our need for him and receive him as Savior. And when you receive him, when you gain him, you possess the greatest treasure known to man. We have this treasure, 2 Corinthians 4, in earthen vessels. We are the earthen vessels made of dirt, and this glorious treasure is the good news of the gospel and the spirit of God that dwells in us. But yet, we must hasten to add, we are still flawed people. And even though those of us who have received Christ as Savior would say that we love Jesus, we know that we don't do that perfectly. We are constantly living in flux with shifting priorities and changing schedules, and it's very difficult to consider Jesus to be the treasure that he really is. So to treasure him, second, we not only need to receive Jesus as Savior, we need to value him preeminently. We need to place a proper value on him as a treasure. We have to recognize his true worth because he's not just very valuable or extremely valuable, he is preeminently valuable. Yet we struggle to properly assess Jesus even after all he's done with us. I I do this. It's really easy to just go through your week doing your routine and not thinking about how Jesus is the most important treasure that you possess. You know, the Antiques Roadshow illustrates this assessment challenge, does it not? You familiar with this show? I think it's been running on PBS for like 80 years now. People bring in all sorts of items wondering how much they're worth. And most of the time, they're very excited and only to find out it's worth, you know, three quarters. Oh, that's, that's a disappointment. Occasionally, something's worth a few bucks. And on rare occasion, the owner is shocked at the appraisal. And those are the ones we really like to see. In 2014, a woman brought in a collection of sports memorabilia. Her great-great-grandmother ran a boarding house in Boston where the Boston Red Stockings baseball team stayed there in 1871. I didn't know baseball started that long ago, truthfully, until yesterday when I saw this. The team gave this woman baseball cards and a letter from the first lineup, which has stayed in the family for almost 150 years. The collection was appraised at a million dollars in 2014. Is that how we value Jesus? We, we know he's special. Oh, it's kind of a family heirloom. Yeah, I know he's got some value to me. But are we truly giving him the proper assessment that he is worth? In Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul pens 
one of the most electrifying passages in the entire Bible. He passionately says he will give up everything to gain Jesus. This is what it says. Philippians 3, 7 through 8. But what things were gain to me, those I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Did you, do you catch all the financial terms in this verse? Gain to me, loss, count, loss, Loss, count, gain, it's all throughout this. Paul is like invoking an image of a giant balance sheet where he puts everything of earthly value on one side and he lists that. And in the verses right before that he says that the things of earthly value were his his, uh, privileged position as a child of Israel, his status as a Pharisee, his righteousness in keeping the law, his zeal for the law. All of those things that the Jewish community would have said, this guy has it really together. He puts it all there. What would it be for you? your position at work, your income level in bracket, your status somewhere else. And what Paul does is he says on the other side of the balance sheet is one word, Jesus. And I'll give up everything on this side to gain him and him alone. In fact, that word rubbish actually refers to human excrement. So it's not just that these things are a little bit like garbage. They're actually of no value at all. Only, the only thing you do with it is to get it away from you. That's how convinced Paul was that Jesus' worth was so great. He's essentially saying, I'll count all of these earthly gains to be worthless compared to Jesus. Do you value Jesus to this degree? Would you go so far as to give up your greatest achievements or earthly advantages to gain Christ? Well, how valuable is Jesus? Another passage, Colossians 1.18, explains. We'll see this verse actually again in a couple weeks. Colossians 1.18, and Christ is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. And that word preeminence doesn't just mean priority, like you get preferred status. We just flew, and, and some of these airlines have like 15 different preferred status you got your gold, your gold member plus, your silver, your silver plus, your platinum, your platinum plus, your air miles, your sky miles. It's like, okay, is there anyone left to board other than me after all these special people go? That, that's not what preeminent means. Preeminent means it is the supreme thing, the umbrella over which everything else, under which everything else falls. There will only be one preeminent thing in our lives. By definition, there can't be two. That means we have to do some soul searching and ask, what is preeminent in my life? Not in theory, not what I would tell people because I'm a good Christian, but what is actually preeminent in my life? If Jesus is truly valuable to you, he will be the priority to which all other desires bow. He never loses in the scheduling conflict. He shapes priorities. He influences decisions because he is preeminent. He is king over all. Is Jesus more valuable to you than your desire for pleasure or comfort? If he is, then your choices reflect that. Instead of watching TV or scrolling social media, for instance, you will spend time with him in his word. And instead of being content with 15 minutes a day and ingesting hours of sewage from the media, 
you will strive more and more to increase the time you spend with him and decrease the time you're, being, you're spending being influenced by the world. That's one illustration. Is Jesus more valuable to you than your children or your grandchildren? There are many parents, you know them, who make the kids the kings of the family. Everything the family does revolves around the kid's schedule. That's actually, as a parent, a really hard way to live. When church fits in, then that family attends. When there's a positive benefit, the kids come. When there's not, they don't. Those are just two examples of many. Because the, the, the idea of preeminence isn't just this out there idea, oh yeah, Jesus is preeminent. It actually affects our moment-by-moment decisions. And so as we begin 2023, I would encourage you to look in the spiritual mirror. Be honest with yourself. Because being self-deceived is no good. What has preeminence in your life? Get alone with God. I'm not going to ask you for this. <laughs> Get alone with God and be honest. What has preeminence? What have I been giving more devotion to than it, than it really demands? If Christ is not preeminent, you are misaligned and you will struggle to treasure Christ. And I know you don't want that. The third action to treasure Christ is actually intimately connected to our mission statement. To treasure Christ, we not only receive him, and value him, we know him. We know Jesus intimately, learning more and more about our treasure. My father's favorite car for many, many years, even as a boy, has been a Corvette. He loves the color orange. And so back in 2020, interestingly, right about the time that all of us finished college and, and grad school, he bought his dream car. And it's sweet. It is really fun. No, I haven't driven it. <laughs> it's an Inferno Orange 2012 vet, and some of you are like, I don't care about cars. Humor me, all right? Because this is a cool car. He treasures that car. I don't think any of us would have a problem with that. Last week when we were there, we were there for like 11 days. He didn't take the car out of the garage because there was salt on the roads. And you know what? I didn't argue with him over that. I was like, yeah, tell you, don't, don't want to mess it up. He treasures the car. But he doesn't just drive it to treasure it. He's actually spent a lot of time researching about this car. He learned that there are several aftermarket upgrades that the previous owner installed to increase horsepower. In fact, he thinks that the previous owner was drag racing it. Kind of cool. He's learned more about different features and functions of, of the, the vehicle so that he can drive it better, so he can treasure it more. And I, I think we relate to that, right? If something is valuable to us, we're going to learn about it. We want to investigate more. 2 Peter 3.18 says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a very simple command at the end of a book that was written to help us grow in our knowledge of Christ, to add to our faith, to develop a stable faith. Peter says, grow in grace and grow in knowledge. Every day in the Christian life is an opportunity to know Jesus more. And, and really, this, this is such a great way to treasure Christ because it's tied directly to our mission statement. Here's our mission statement. It's to know Christ and to make him known. And if you're catching on, I'm going to say our mission statement a lot because I want you to, to have this in front of you. This explains why we exist, why we're even here. We are here gathering as a church today to know Christ and make him known. That's why we exist as a church. Is that why you exist as an individual Christian? Or is your personal mission statement, whether in writing or in theory, something totally different? 
This mission statement helps us to not repeat the failures of third generations in Scripture. If you remember, a couple months ago when the first series I preached was on the third generation. And the third generation in Scripture made several mistakes that caused them to drift away from the Lord. Several of those mistakes were from the generation after Joshua, Moses and Joshua. That generation rejected their mission of conquering the land. They did not know the Lord and they did not rehearse the wonderful works God has done. That's why our mission statement is so important because it reminds us this is why we're here. We need to live it out. And so as we move forward as a church, I would encourage you to embrace this mission personally. You may already have a personal mission statement. I think it's a very healthy practice to craft one of those for yourself. But I would encourage you to to adopt this one. If you don't, and if you already do, factor this one in. Why do you wake up in the morning? Why do you go to work? Why do you eat the things you do? Why do you talk to the people you do? Why do you go to the places you go? Why do you engage in the activities you do? It should be to know Christ and to make him known. Because when this is your mission, this is why you exist, everything in life has clarity and purpose. You say, well, does that mean that I'll never have any fun, that I need to be witnessing 90 hours a week and knocking on doors till 11 o'clock at night? No, because the Bible teaches us that when we live and walk with Jesus, we enjoy the gifts that he's given to us. And some of those gifts are rest and recreation and fellowship. But again, those things come back to our mission of knowing Christ and making him known. The other reason I think this is so important is because knowing Jesus intimately is part of our ministry goal of deepening our relationship to Christ. To deepen our relationship with Christ, we're going to emphasize prayer and the study of the scriptures this year. You say that's really simple. Yes, it is. We just go back to scripture and say this is what it teaches and we're going to emphasize what scripture emphasizes. And yet, we don't do this very well, do we? (laughs) If I had to ask you, how was your prayer life this last month, we'd probably have several of us hanging our heads low. Prayer is ministry. It's not just something we do before meals because we're supposed to as good Christians. It's not just something we do at the beginning of services or or to close something because it feels weird to not. No, prayer is ministry where we're laboring together with one another on behalf of other people. Our pastoral staff wants to increase our prayer as a church both in depth and in time. That's why home prayer groups are so important because they're one opportunity, one avenue where our church can gather in smaller groups and pray together. We literally called it home prayer group. It's for that purpose. And as we pray and walk with one another, we draw closer to to Christ. We, We deepen our relationship with Christ. And as we deepen our relationship with Christ, what's the result? What's the effect? It's that we treasure him more and more. Pastor Jerry is launching a new group called Grandparents at Prayer that'll start at the end of January. Why? Because we believe that praying for your grandkids is very valuable. So we're going to emphasize the ministry of prayer. We're going to emphasize the ministry of discipleship because discipleship is simply becoming more and more like Christ. The goal of discipleship is simply to help believers grow. And the best way that I've, that I've come to think about it is, is that growth as a Christian follows after the growth of a human child, of a baby. In fact, 1 Peter 2, 2 calls new believers spiritual infants. And spiritual infants need the milk of the word. So, so what's the analogy here? Well, when a, a, a baby is born, 
what can they do for themselves? The answer is not much. Uh, Can they feed themselves? No, they can cry and they can sleep and that's about it. There are other things, but we won't go there. That's about all they can do. When a person comes to faith in Christ, what can they do spiritually? It's not a lot. And so what's our responsibility to new Christians? It's to do what a, a mother and a father would do, with feed and nurture and protect that infant. To come alongside a new believer and feed them the milk of the word, to teach them so they can grow. And so as, as, as new believers are born into the family, because born again is a scriptural term, they then become reliant, they grow from becoming reliant on others to being self-feeders. That's what a human child does. Some children develop the ability to feed themselves at like two. Some others it's like seven. Uh, and there are varying stages there in between. But hopefully by the time they're in middle elementary school, they can fend for themselves at the dinner table and not make a mess. And until they're teenagers, you know, you may have to cook for them. But hopefully by the time you get to be a young adult, you're still learning to procure your own food and cook your own meals. And maybe some of us haven't quite mastered that either. Our version of cooking is pulling out a cereal box. But there's a natural progress of development in a human person. And it's the same way spiritually, that that when a a believer grows, they they then become a self-feeder. They become able to sustain their spiritual life by reading the word and studying it and growing in their walk with the Lord without depending on another believer. And if you haven't made it to that stage yet, we're not critical of you. This is the healthy part of a normal family. A healthy family has new additions to it. And we expect the new additions to grow. Now, if you've been a Christian for 60 years and you're still an infant, something's wrong. But the grace that God gives us means that we can grow, we can change. And then there's a third step in discipleship. It's growing from being a self-feeder to being able to, to care for others. When a child grows up and then gets married in their 20s and has their children of their own, we expect them to have a level of responsibility so that they can care for their child. And now the process starts all over again. And that's the same way it is spiritually. Then when someone is born into the family, they become a self-feeder over time. And as they get mature and strong and well-rounded, they then can invest in other people. And investing in other people isn't just teaching a class. That's just one gift of many. Investing in other people encompasses many, many different spiritual gifts. Every believer can invest in one another. And so at the end of this year, we want to be able to point to specific ways that we've grown in our relationship to Jesus. Discipleship, you see, covers four areas. So how do we take someone from being an infant to a self-feeder to feeding others? Well, we have to teach them about biblical literacy. We have to teach them what the Bible says, Bible knowledge. Then we have to teach them Bible doctrine. Then we have to teach them Christian living. How does a Christian act? How does a Christian live? How does a Christian behave? And then we have to teach them a biblical worldview. And as we do that this year as a church together, how wonderful would it be at a Thanksgiving praise service or at a a year-end service to stand and give testimony that we've grown deeper in our relationship with Christ because we know him more. We've actually known him in a way that we've never known him before. And so to that end, I encourage you to, to set a couple of spiritual growth goals at the beginning of this year. If you're like me, you probably tend to go too many goals, and so it's hard to focus, but I would encourage you to pick one or two. Find a, a goal or two and just say, Lord, how can I grow in this? Maybe it's a character trait that you need to grow in, a spiritual habit that could be improved, like prayer. 
Maybe it's something about God you need to study or learn. Maybe it's, it's a change to your thinking that needs to, be, that needs to take place by the renewing of the word of God. I would encourage you to pick one or two and then find someone else to pray for you specifically in that area. That's, that's accountability. And there are many, many people in our church that would love to do that with one another. So let's lean into that together. When we value Jesus correctly and know him intimately, that will have an effect on us. It'll affect our love for him. Our love for him will increase, I think, pretty naturally. And so this is the fourth step to treasuring Christ. It's to love Jesus supremely, to love the treasure above everything else. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 38 says that, that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. That means we love God supremely and we love others sacrificially. When we treasure Christ, we will do both of those. Because the book of 1 John is actually written to tell us, if you don't love the brother whom you can't see, how can you say that you love God whom you don't see? So when we treasure Christ, we love both vertically and horizontally. I've actually preached recently about loving Jesus um, from Luke chapter 7. The sinful woman loved Jesus much because she was forgiven much. The Pharisee, self-righteous, did not love Jesus because he didn't think he needed Jesus. And so how do we deepen our love for him? Well, we deepen our love for him by reminding ourselves how much we've been forgiven. Our sin offends God, but Jesus has willingly gone to the cross to suffer in our place. And it's very humbling to talk about our love for Christ because we know that it falls so far short of what it should. Does this hymn text portray your heart's desire, though? My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Or how about this hymn? More love to thee, O Christ. More love to thee. Hear thou the prayer I make on bended knee. This is my earnest plea. More love, O Christ, to thee. More love to thee more love to thee. You know, Forrest Fenn's treasure was actually found two years ago in 2020 by a man named Jack Stauff. He deciphered the general location of the treasure in 2018, but it took him two more years of searching to find the exact spot. And he described his search in an online article, and he said this, this treasure hunt was the most frustrating experience of my life. There were few, a few times when I exhausted and covered in scratches and bites and sweat and pine pitch and nearing the end of my day's water supply would sit down on a down tree and just cry alone in the woods in sheer frustration. I spent about 25 full days of failure looking for the treasure at that location before getting it. What dedication right? What commitment to seek and to find that treasure? Because treasures aren't found in plain sight. No one buries a treasure in the middle of a road. They must be sought after and relentlessly pursued. Jesus is a treasure. He is supremely valuable. He is worth more than anything else we could ever own or hope to own. That is the scriptural truth. So what must we do with that? This year, let us learn to treasure him, to cherish him, to live like he is worth more to us than anything else, because he is. Let's treasure Christ together 
2023. Thanks for listening to audio from Red Rocks Baptist Church. If you enjoy this content, please consider sharing it with others. Our mission at Red Rocks Baptist Church is to know Christ and to make Him known. May God bless you as you follow Him.